inspiring stories, practical applications. Doing ministry well. All right. Well, thanks for checking into another episode of Doing Ministry Well. I uh, just flew over here uh, to the Big Island from Oahu, and uh, I'm Jim Baker, your host, and we are sitting in uh, the beautiful sanctuary of St. Juvenali, and joining me is Father John. Father John, thanks so much for being on the show. Good to be here today. Um, it's interesting how we met. I met you in 2008, and uh, a friend of mine, Sandy Walrod, was doing her DTS here in Kona. I was uh, a student with the School of Biblical Studies at that time, and she had graduated from North Park University in Chicago and had a class on Eastern uh, religions and uh, fell in love with orthodoxy there and was, and was attending an uh, orthodox church there. And uh, somehow you had a connection with that? I, I had a number of friends from North Park, yeah. Okay. And uh, the funny thing is you were a Wyoming at one time as well? I was. Back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Back in the day. Back in the day. Yeah, so lots of... Lots of fun connections there, and and uh, yeah, it's been really excellent to uh, stay in touch through the years. I know every time I've had a question about orthodoxy, you're the first person that I shoot an email to, and you're always gracious to respond, so I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, Father John, how long have you been in ministry? It depends what you mean by ministry. Uh, I've been a priest since 2002. Okay. Uh, but... Of course, that was more the culmination, you could say, of, of years of involvement mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the beginning. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I became a Christian in 1992, okay. and probably by 1994 I was active in mm-hmm. what you might call ministry. I helped uh, start and run a Christian coffee shop mm-hmm. in the suburbs of Chicago that we called Areopagus, mm-hmm. and then um, I was involved in YOM. Mm-hmm. And after that, I did a lot of work with um, street kids, drop-in center in Portland, Oregon. And then I was a hospital chaplain for a time, and it just goes from there. And then I was a campus chaplain at the University of Chicago for six okay. years. Hmm. So quite the variety and, and kind of the full spectrum of ministry. Though. A lot of different types, yeah. That's excellent. That's excellent. Uh, what, how would you describe your current ministry? Well, I'm uh, the only Orthodox priest on this island, and which is 4,000 square miles. So we have a very kind of small and spread out congregation, actually two congregations. Uh, we have this St. Juvenali mission in Kailuakona, and then also a church that we're calling Holy Ascension over in Honomu, which is by Akaka Falls, just north of Hilo. Okay. And we have a building there, uh, which is a nice thing that we know where we're going to be able to meet. There you go. And uh, so I, I have these two communities, and that's most of my work here. Hmm. Excellent, excellent. Um, I'm assuming that the majority of our uh, listeners are going to be Protestant listeners, and uh, I'm also assuming, and this could not be true, but I know that when I first heard of Orthodoxy, I had no clue at all what was going on, and I hope this isn't offensive, but I honestly just thought that Orthodoxy was a branch of Catholicism, and it was just a denomination of Catholicism. So I don't know if other people are in that boat or as ignorant as I was. But I'd just love to ask you some questions for our listeners. Um, yeah, just to clarify things so sure. that the truth is out there. Uh, yeah, number one, what is the Orthodox Church and its, uh, and its history? This is a big question. <laughs> How many hours do we have today? I, well, you know, when you look at all of the different if you call them denominations or churches, 
uh, I think one of the best ways to understand the differences is through church history mm -hmm. and even just the outline. So if uh, I'm going to give you a very sim simplistic outline, sure, okay? Sure. Which is, you could say the church was basically one for the first thousand years. Mm -hmm. uh, we could talk about the Copts and Arme Arminian, Armenians and uh, Ethiopian Orthodox another time maybe. But uh, let's just go with that. Mm -hmm. uh, one church for the first thousand years. And then there was a break between East and West, uh, which kind of started gradually and you could say really culminated uh, with the Fourth Crusade. Mm -hmm where Latin Crusaders sacked the city of Constantinople. And what that did, I think, more than anything else, was give a sense of otherness, mm. you know, to the, between the Latin church and the Greek church, we mm. could say. Um, and, but the, the point of schism is often uh, cited as 1054, which is when the Pope excommunicated the Patriarch of Constantinople, and the Patriarch excommunicated the Pope of Rome. Mm. Uh, so, and then 500 or so years later, in the West, you have the Protestant Reformation and all of the various churches coming out of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, so the Orthodox churches, historically, the, the churches in the East that weren't, uh, kind of weren't part of the Roman Catholic Church at that time. and. Um, there's a lot to talk about here. It's it's a big topic. Yeah, yeah. So 1054, is that the date you said? It's a convenient date. I mean, in reality, on the ground, it took time to work out. But that that's the date often given because that's when these excommunications happen. Okay, and that's commonly referred to as the East-West Schism, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, how, how does your church service differ from a, a Protestant uh, church service? There's lots of kinds of Protestants. Uh, so it, it really depends what you're talking about. Sure. If you, you know, I, I think the Protestant churches with kind of deeper roots will be more similar, or people from those churches will be more familiar with Orthodox mm -hmm. worship. Uh, it is liturgical. Mm -hmm. We have a lectionary. We have uh, lots of chanting and incense and um, what do you say? The focus on Holy Communion mm -hmm. during the service. Um, Center is worship. I don't know. I don't know what to say. What, what, what questions would you have? Like, what, you know, there was a time where uh, Orthodox worship was strange to me when I just started going, and I have a hard time remembering that mm. time. Now it's absolutely normal, and everything else is strange. Right. So right. It's been a long time, though. It's hard for me to remember that uh, experience. Of, mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, each each service is is similar. Uh, it's called the Divine Liturgy. Is that is that correct? Well, that's our Sunday service. Okay, the Holy Communion. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of the other services like Vespers or Matins. The kind of in the, in the West they might be called the daily offices are based around the Psalms. Mm -hmm. um, many cycles that overlap. I, hmm. We don't want to do two hours on sure, this, but sure. there are many cycles that overlap and. So it might strike people as formal, but it's also, um, I, I don't want to say casual, but it's familiar. Mm -hmm. it's, home, it's homey. Mm -hmm. It's not a kind of staid formalism for, for me, and I think mm -hmm. many, many of us. I mean, if I can speak for mm -hmm. the experience of mm -hmm. you know, lots of people. Um, something that I think is, is uh, different <coughs> from uh, 
the churches that I've grown up in is, is your church, you follow the church calendar, um, and then there's regular regular fasting. Can you just speak on that a little bit? Well, you know, from the time of the early church, uh, well, the, at the time of Christ, Jews were fasting on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So after Christ, the Christians started fasting Wednesday and Fridays. And we have, uh, over time, there grew up four fasting periods in addition to that kind of regular weekly fast, uh, which are Great Lent before Pascha or Easter, uh, the Apostles' Fast that ends with the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, uh, the Dormition Fast in August, and then the Nativity Fast that, that leads up to Christmas. Mm. So those are the fasting seasons. Mm. It's a rhythm of feasting and fasting. Mm. Can't have one without the other. Sure, sure. And the feast always leads into, or the fast always leads into a feast. Oh, that's good. Um, something that uh, strikes me right away again as a Protestant uh, when you when you come in, you see icons, and uh, yeah, do do. I, I mean, that's that's a big separation between Protestant and. Uh, well, again, it depends what kind of Protestant. Right. I mean, I, I've seen icons used in. Many churches, it's more the, I guess, the, the more Puritan traditions that, from Zwingli. I mean, Zwingli was famous for whitewashing the walls of the church and kind of being very uh, wary of any, any physical thing which could distract you, mm -hmm. right, from soul attention on Scripture mm -hmm. and uh, Christ as he understood it. Mm -hmm. um, but for us, it's, it, it's different. Um, I saw your question, do you worship icons? And... Part of that is, what, what do you mean by worship? You know, in Greek, there's two words. There's latria and dulia. Dulia is like um, honor or service, like if you um, are a servant to a king or a lord, you know, in, in think medieval times, mm -hmm. uh, you offer them dulia, honor, mm -hmm. you know, that's given to a kind of a human lord or mm -hmm. something. Where latria is... Uh, can be translated adoration, that's reserved for God alone. So there, there's a very sharp distinction. But we do honor um, the icons, um, we, and we kiss everything, you know, we kiss the cross, we kiss the bishops, we kiss the priests, we kiss each other, we kiss uh, icons, we, you know, um, and we do honor, you can say that we honor the fingerprints of God found everywhere in his creation. Um, but it's never, it's never worship in the sense of adoration. It's due to God alone. The icons aren't divine mm -hmm. for us, but they're windows into uh, the realities that they present, that they mm -hmm. speak about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember uh, when I was staffing the School of Photography, uh, you came in and, and talked a little bit about um, iconic. I think I talked about capturing divine light right. in art yeah. and the process of iconography, which involves prayer and fasting and really is an expression of theology yeah yeah that was excellent um, yeah what is tradition and how do you Orthodox people approach the scriptures you know so tradition if we could give maybe the most concise definition it's passing on what has been handed down hmm. I think of first uh, Corinthians 11 23. Uh, where, where St. Paul writes, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Mm -hmm. You know, and then in 2 um, in Timothy, 
uh, St. Paul writes to Timothy and says, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. you know, so it's this deposit of faith that's handed down uh, from kind of master to disciple through the generations. And it's, uh, it's both oral tradition and written tradition. Um, again, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes, Brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And so tradition is a very broad and rich thing. And you asked about the, the, the role of, or how we view scripture in the context of tradition. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at the time of Christ, the scripture was the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And especially at the time, people were using the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation. That's the um, kind of the home mm -hmm. of the New Testament writers. That's mm -hmm. what they quote. And that's what Jesus quotes. That's what the apostles quote from this uh, Septuagint. But in the New Testament canon kind of took a few centuries to really become fixed. Mm -hmm. um, there were always, I think, guiding criteria there. So no Gnostic Gospels or something like that. But, right. um, but our view, I would say, is that Scripture is part of tradition, yeah, certainly a, a privileged part, a cornerstone, um, and yes, even a, even a litmus test for mm -hmm. testing, you know, things in tradition. But it's not it's not a separate source. It's something uh, within and part of the fabric of the tradition that we believe has been handed down to us by the apostles mm -hmm. and that we are entrusted to hand down to the next generations. Mm -hmm. um, what is the orthodox approach to missions and evangelism? <clears throat> These are huge questions. <laughs> and um, so as I saw this question, I, I had a couple thoughts. And um, f first I thought of St. Juvenali. We're in a church named after St. Juvenali. Juvenali was a Russian monk that went to Alaska and, and was part of the evangelization of Alaska. And, you know, he was so zealous. He argued with his, with his friend, um, and the, Father Makarius, who was another monk. And uh, they were arguing over who would go to the Aleutian Islands to evangelize. And Juvenali was so uh, zealous that he argued with him and kind of said, no, no, it's my territory and I want to get them. And this argument, it said, warmed the heart of a, another monk, uh, Father Herman, you know, who was kind of delighted by this zeal hmm. to reach out and preach the gospel. Um, I mean, the whole existence of the church is mission, right? From, you know, uh, Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And the apostles went out to all the ends of the earth. And I think the churches continue that in every time, although certainly in recent centuries, in certain contexts, it's been very difficult, whether that's in the Middle East, uh, Greece, which was 500 years under the Turks, or Russia under communism. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, of course, we have the witness of the martyrs mm -hmm. in each of those places. Um, when I think about evangelism, I, I, a couple other things I, I'd want to say are that uh, it's important to me that when we do evangelism, it's not just it's preaching the words of the gospel, right? But it's not, but also I, I want to say we should pay attention to how we preach them, how we present them. Mm. There's a dignity with the gospel and a beauty with the gospel, and we should be careful uh, not to cheapen it. Mm. And I, I remember um, 
this is a little bit of a graphic story. I was with an Indian man uh, in a restroom, okay? Mm -hmm. And we saw a tract that had been put in a urinal. Mm. And um, I suppose many people, that wouldn't bother them so much. It's just a physical thing. But he saw that these are the words of God. And so he picked it out, you know, to give dignity. Mm -hmm. And um, the problem, one problem I see with a lot of evangelism is that it's uh, maybe too desperate. It's got to be expressed with dignity and mm. duty. And that's I think good. that's important for Orthodox evangelism. Mm. Um, let's see. if We do have a missionary center, an Orthodox Christian mission center based in Florida uh, that works with a lot of the different Orthodox churches in mm. America. There's many other things to say about enculturation and a kind of an incarnational approach to missions, but maybe that's a, a summary for now. Sure, sure. Um, if uh, some of our listeners were going to attend a Orthodox service, uh, what should they expect and what is proper etiquette? You know, I don't think there's so many rules for visitors when you walk into an Orthodox church. We don't have open communion, so don't plan to come... For communion, mm -hmm. you know, um, but really come and, and you can observe, you can participate, you can light a candle, make the sign of the cross, whatever you're comfortable with, or you can just observe. Um, what should you expect? The main thing is expect to, um, to come and pray and uh, to stand and struggle in prayer. Uh, let the words of scripture which the services are full of just wash over you and go with an open heart it's um, expect a kind of meditative experience i want to say and um, be wary of preconceptions you know i've heard people say oh the people aren't participating in an orthodox service they're just kind of standing well they're not standing around they're praying and yeah, that's the idea we're all struggling in prayer together so there's it's not entertainment mm -hmm. uh, it's a it's a co-struggling in prayer that's what the service is about and mm -hmm. if you uh, I think keep that in mind with an open heart uh, and give it some time for the eyes to adjust to the particular lighting you know um, it'll make sense yeah yeah just what I've always appreciated about the Orthodox Church is just the reverence that you guys display to a holy God and I think that sometimes um, you know, other churches don't really focus on that. And it seems funny to say that because God is absolutely holy. But yeah, I, I just love attending services and just really, you guys do an excellent job of just magnifying the beauty and the holiness of God. So I think that's where it all begins is in, in that worship. Um, mm. Where else do you start? And, you know, I know that's a focus of YWAM. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that's one thing very much in common at the heart of uh, the Orthodox churches and also YWAM is this, the heart of it is this surrender to God mm -hmm. in worship and lifting, lifting up the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's where it begins because uh, when we see the holiness of God, then we can have humility um, and then we can be strengthened in His love mm -hmm. and uh, go out into the world rooted in that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just through uh, even some of the written prayers um, and even just the Jesus prayer, 
has really just helped me in my own personal walk uh, with the Lord. Uh, a lot of times I feel like I don't know what to pray. I've just kind of reached that point and uh, being able to just pray through some Orthodox prayers have really, really helped me. Um, just that discipline, and, uh, and again, that's something that, that I haven't grown up with as a tradition in my church upbringing. Um, so just those things have, have really been beneficial to me. It makes sense. And, you know, some people think, oh, all, are, are all your prayers formal? And, you know, well, I think in a way all prayers are formal. And there's routines of prayer in every church I've ever run across, sure. whether it's sitting in a circle and saying, Lord, just do this or do this or, right. you know, or, or, I mean, there's routines of prayer everywhere. And sometimes it's nice just to have these beautiful prayers that really teach us they've been passed down you know from generation to generation there's so much wisdom and depth in them and then we don't have to try to sound clever or make okay. something up and prayer isn't you know telling someone else what they should be doing <laughs> prayer is are, are talking to god right? yeah and um, yeah that's good um what would you say is has been the highlight of your uh your ministry is there is there one thing that you could point to or these are giant questions. Um, <laughs> you know, the greatest honor and dignity of my life is standing up on a Sunday morning at the altar mm. and serving the liturgy as a, as a priest. That's, mm. that's a recurring highlight, mm -hmm. you might say. And, um, and I, love, I love that part. And beyond that, getting to participate in God's work mm. in a myriad of ways, um, in my own name, imperfections you know but as a as a co-worker in whatever little way uh, is a joy and when uh, when I see God working in ways much greater than me it uh, just it blows me away right mm. uh, and then you know as a, as a priest as a minister my job is to love people mm. that's got to be the greatest job in the world mm. right yeah um, it, it's nice to have a job where you're just supposed to love people right. all the time. I mean, and that love has some uh, bones to it, or there's meat to it, or right, right. it's uh, there's some substance anyway right, to that right. love. It's not a wishy-washy kind of love all the right. time, but it's uh, that's a wonderful job. And so th those things are are broad themes, I guess, that really stand out as highlights or things I love about ministry. Yeah, as I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking about some of the conversations that we've had in the past, can you just uh, tell our listeners kind of your first experience uh, with orthodoxy? And uh, you were on your DTS outreach at the time. I, I was on DTS, and I think I had ran, I had run across a couple books before going on DTS, but had uh, little context. You know, I wasn't raised as a Christian, and so when I uh, started reading the Bible, and I, I would go to the library and check out of every book that mm -hmm. I could find for, sure. on uh, Christian faith and life. And um, anyway, so I, I was on my DTS and I went to Israel and I worked with some monks there mm. at, a, at a monastery in Jerusalem, a monastery of the Holy Cross. And um, it was all kind of bizarre to me at the time. And I'm not sure how much I understood and whatever services they did were all in Greek. And, but I do remember talking to one monk in particular and I uh, would ask him questions like, you know, how are you saved, or why did you become a monk? And I, I just remember um, when I asked him why he became a monk, he said, when you love somebody, you want to be with them all the time. Mm -hmm. And he, 
he not only said that, he said that just shining with light. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it was this beautiful uh, thing. Yeah. And so I came back to the United States and I started reading a lot about the Orthodox Church. I had a friend who died shortly after I returned and he was Greek, so his funeral was at a Greek church. Okay. And I was struck by the beauty of that service and the mm -hmm. depth of that funeral service, mm -hmm. uh, which got me even more curious. Yeah. And um, time went on and went down the rabbit hole, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, some books. Uh, is there any specific resources that you would recommend to our listeners if they're, if they're interested in, in learning more about Orthodoxy? Well, there's a lot of books. I mean, there's no end, mm -hmm. right, to books. But if you think about the Christian classics, the church the writings of the church fathers, mm -hmm. the uh, sayings of the desert fathers, even a book like The Ladder of Divine Ascent, uh, which comes from St. John of the Ladder, who is the abbot in uh, Sinai, and kind of collated a lot of the sayings of the Desert Fathers. Or in terms of modern books, uh, for spirituality kind of stuff, I think of um, the works of St. Siloan, of Mount Athos and Archimandrite Sophroni. For more instruction, there's a book called The Orthodox Church by Metropolitan Callistos or uh, Timothy Ware that gives a very uh, good overview of history and doctrine. Mm. And then he has a companion volume called The Orthodox Way, which is kind of an introduction to the Orthodox spiritual tradition. It's mm. more the heart mm -hmm. uh, of the church. Um, and then uh, a mentor of mine, Father Thomas Hopko, who just, uh, I was at his funeral earlier this week. Uh, he wrote a nice four volume set on simple, but strong kind of introduction to the basic teaching and theology of the Orthodox Church, and that's available online mm. uh, at at least our national church website, which is oca.org, um, and the whole it's full text there. Mm. And that's a that might be a good and free place to begin, you know, just exploring and learning a little bit. Mm, that's good. Um, yeah. On the, on the flip side, what what would you say has been your biggest struggle? In ministry and how have you overcome or are overcoming that you know uh, there's a lot of struggles as you go along and I, I think um, the first thing that occurs to me is I mean there's kind of the struggles outside and the struggles inside the community mm -hmm. and in terms of outside I I have endured a lot of scorn I feel like you know and when I, I've talked to people, and when they say, well, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm a priest. And they just turn around and walk away. Or, or uh, you know, they think, well, are you an actor? You surely can't be a priest. Right. You know, priests don't exist anymore, you know. Or just the, these kind of weary looks. And maybe it's the circles I've been in. Maybe not every place in the world is like this. But uh, there's an awful lot of scorn poured upon uh, ministers mm -hmm. in many ways. And not even, you know, there's the scorn that ministers get when they're just, just obnoxious, but I'm talking about the other kind of scorn, right, too. Right. Um, and uh, anyway, and then from within the community, you know, part of the challenge of being a pastor is that people project all kinds of things mm. on the pastor and all kinds of expectations and all kinds of uh, pathologies and you know, issues, you know, all get projected on, onto you. And so that's... Uh, in a way, part of that is the job, but then 
it, it can be hard to deal with sometimes. Um, there's the constant struggle with myself, you know. Sure. There's uh, financial challenges of being in ministry. These are all different things, and you know, there's a lot more. Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of the bulk of this uh, this podcast is is just sharing how to do uh, ministry well. So if 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 you could share three practical tips just on on how to do ministry well, um, what do you what do you think those three things would be? So I, I was thinking about this, and here's a few things I came up with. Sure. Um, number one is avoid hype, hmm. uh, and even be allergic to hype. Hate hmm. hype because I I think. And I, I'm not an expert on what happens outside of our Orthodox churches anymore. I don't really pay attention. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I worry that there's a lot of personality, a lot of hype, a lot of ego, even marketing. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, that's just not, that's not the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are crying out for authenticity. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the mentors that I look up to uh, were almost the exact inverse of hype. I mean, total, you know, don't be special, be very simple. Um, you know, even there's a concept of, you know, hide your, your holiness and your virtue and your prayers, you know, don't parade it on the streets. Um, so make everyone think you're, you're a dumb fool while you're praying intensely, you know? And I, I mean, that kind of approach or spirituality, uh, to me is important it's kind of an anti-marketing which yeah. is you see so much of marketing sure. today yeah absolutely and, you know do churches need to be doing search engine optimization well i mean if you want to reach people maybe in a certain context but just be really careful about mm, that that's good uh so number two would be don't try to control people mm. it's not up to you the church is not a cult where you're you know you have to control everybody's uh, heart and thoughts or even you're not responsible for numbers of conversions or anything like that. You know, do what you do, bear witness, you know, try to be faithful, um, conquer by hum- humble love, as Dostoevsky wrote in Brother Skarmasov, um, and just go on. Mm-hmm. You know, others, what, others, other people's choices are not your responsibility. I mean, right. you can struggle with them and, and encourage them, but in the end, you can't. You just can't win that way. And it causes a lot of stress and angst. And, uh, you know. That's good. And then uh, third is, I think, something that's very important, which is look for the good in everything and everyone. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and then as something that's connected to that is, uh, like, like Paul called himself the chief of all sinners or the first of all sinners. And we don't need to condemn anyone. We, we can condemn things. I mean, there's different from... We can say this is right and this is wrong according to the scripture or whatever we've been given, yes. But we don't need to condemn anyone. We don't need to pass judgment on people's hearts. Judgment is God's. And, um, and if we can see our own sins and not judge anybody, in fact, justify them while condemning ourselves in, in a way, if you get what I mean. Yeah. And just look for the good. Affirm everything good that, you know, we, we want to bless everything blessable. Mm. Um, and view all of life as a gift like that, and every person as a gift like that. Uh, 
think there's something very beautiful and healthy in that approach to life and ministry. Mm. Yeah, those are good. Those are really good. Thanks for sharing those. Um, yeah, as uh, there last question is just has there been anything that's been inspiring you lately? Any books, resources, conversations, ideas? Uh, what's what's just served as an inspiration lately? Yeah, I might be a little morbid here, but um, I mean we talked about books before. So I've been paying a lot of attention to what's been happening in the Middle East, in um, well, Egypt, Libya, Iraq, Syria, and so on. We have so many martyrs, uh, so many people that have borne witness to their faith, and um, that's inspiring to me lately. So I've been thinking about this, and um, in a way, what better witness is there? Yeah. You know, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the of the church and you, you can say that that's where the rubber really meets the road yeah. is in that choice you know if you if it's a choice to forsake Christ or die and you choose to die for the sake of Christ um, that's it <laughs> there's a substance in that right. and there's hope in that and there's uh, trust in God and the resurrection and a confidence in eternal life and the promises of scripture and mm -hmm. all of that goes into martyrdoms so that's yeah. something I've been thinking about that's great yeah Father John I've really enjoyed this um, would you mind just praying for our listeners I, I'd be happy to and um, as I pray I, I'd like to uh, use the words from Ephesians chapter 3 I bow my knees before the Father and ask that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, now and ever the ages of ages. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father John. If you've enjoyed this episode of Doing Ministry Well, you can help us out by rating, commenting, and subscribing on iTunes and sharing this podcast with your friends. Check out the podcast notes to find out more about today's guests and other resources mentioned on this episode. To find out more about Doing Ministry Well, check out our website, www.doingministrywell.com. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestion on who we should interview next, email us at doingministrywell at gmail.com. To find out more about me, your host, visit my blog at www.jimjessbaker.com. That's www.jimjessasinjessicabaker.com. All links are Amazon affiliate links and help us out when you make a purchase through them.